This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Dana, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. I'm getting over like a two week virus, but I'm great. I'm starting to feel like myself and I'm happy to be here. Oh, thank God. I know we've been through the ringer this year with the viruses because we have children. So we had all the colds, all the little germ critters. Yes. Yes. All All the things, all the things. So I wanted to introduce you before we get into it. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, You guys, Dana B. Myers is an award-winning entrepreneur, product developer, author, and media personality in the sexual wellness and empowerment space. In 2005, you guys, that's 17 years, she founded the sexy beauty brand, Booty Parlor, and has created success with retailers such as Victoria's Secret, Henry Bendel, and the Wynn Hotel, bootyparlor.com is now D2C, which means direct-to-consumer. You can order it yourself directly to your home. And they're also distributed internationally via a global licensing partnership. As a speaker, expert, and author on female sexual empowerment, confidence, and relationships, she has appeared on ABC Nightline, Good Morning America, Access Hollywood Live, Sex with Emily, Loveline, Redbook, Allure, and Wall Street Journal. In any and all of her endeavors, her mission is always to inspire and empower women to claim their unique beauty, confidence, sensuality, and sexual satisfaction. You <laughs> yes, are a beast, the, Dana. Yes. <laughs> it's a long career. It's a long it's a career. beautiful career. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm Thank so you. inspired to be your friend and somebody that I can just nuzzle up with and really be vulnerable around because you've really experienced so much in your lifetime. And it's just an honor to know you. So thank you for your time and your friendship. Thanks, honey. I feel the same way. Really, really excited to have gotten to know you and continue to get to know you better. Share this this whole life experience of being an entrepreneur and a mother and being in relationship and doing all the things. And growing and rebelliously reinventing. So you've been on this journey in entrepreneurship simultaneously in relationship. Your husband is your business partner, correct? Yes, he is. And you've become a mother times two. And so you've been through all of this entrepreneurial journey with children, with relationship, and through life transitions from, you know, young 20-something turning 30, turning 40, also being a mom and in relationship, all these milestones. And I think the thing that I admire about you so much is that you, at least from my perspective and my personal experience, is that you do it rebelliously, but you do it gracefully as well. And I think Ooh, that that you. is, and I know from your converse, our conversations that that is probably a skill set that you've developed, but I really do perceive that and experience that of you. So. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> it's so, so funny because yes, it's true. And thank you for seeing that. It's also true that I will often feel completely overwhelmed and sit on the couch crying like a baby, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, almost two decades into 
running this brand and still sometimes life gets the best of me or uh, a challenge gets the best of me. And, you know, I'm still very human and not so graceful. But Mm -hmm. I think that the grace... Well, and let me just say it's probably what... I think the graceful part about it is that you're compassionate towards yourself, you know, like even on those shit days and you cry on the couch and you fuck it up and you miscommunicate and all the things and you have a fight with your husband or you yell at your children, like you forgive yourself and like you are, you don't quit. You just keep working on it. Yes. That's the grace. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I never quit. Um, and Although I have semi quit sometimes because that was what my deep intuition told me. Um, but I, I really think the grace comes from having made so many mistakes on my business journey and of course in my personal life too, but, and, and getting through every single one of them. And so knowing the mistakes are still going to happen, not every deal is going to go through. But I have the evidence of how I've always picked myself up and how we've always picked ourselves up as a team, both in life and in business, in marriage and in business. And we always find our feet again. So when I do feel in crisis or in overwhelm, I'm like, you know what? Been here before. The evidence is that everything's a cycle. The success will come again. The obstacle will fade. The revelation will happen. Another deal will come into play. And so for me, it's really just like that evidence and that learned experience. Like I can take it down a notch. I can trust that we'll find our way. And I can trust that um, we'll continue to have success because we've been through it. Yeah. So grace is piggybacked off trust. Like trust has to come first. A hundred percent. It's built on Mm. trust. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, trust comes from looking for evidence. Um, Mm -hmm. and I use that a lot in every aspect of my life. Okay. Just let me look for the evidence. Let me look for the evidence that I'm a good mother, you know, and and after you have a mom fail and, and, you know, and you look for the evidence, you go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's easy. I am a good mother. Let me look for the evidence that I know what I'm doing in the realm of business development. What are the deals I've made? What are, well, who's in my network that I can reach out to for advice or for collaboration? Okay. It's there. Um, that means I can trust. And so for me, that's a very practical way because trust can be like a, a out there, you know, kind of nebulous concept in a way. But when you break it down to you can trust something if you have evidence about it, um, that for me has become a really good tool. I love that. So practical. So very practical. Let's, you are very practical. Your tips I'm very are very practical. practical. Everything about you is very practical. You're like, <laughs> yes. let's take the easy yes. route. Yes. If you know Dana, yes. it's like, stop making it so complicated. Let's just do this easy. Yes. Um, yes. It's so, so valuable. I learned so much from you. So <laughs> let's you. rewind. You're welcome. Let's rewind to like 17 years ago, how this all began. What was it birthed from? And if you're in a relationship with Dana or you've experienced Dana, you know that she's sensual and beautiful and loves luxury, luxy, beautiful, shimmery, shiny, glittery things (laughs) and glossy and smell good. It's just sensual, right? Your life is layered with these kinds of textures. And 
Um, so how did we get here? What, what is yeah. this, what was this birth from? Well, yes, it is birth from a deep passion and love for all things sensual. Um, and that's just been a part of me ever since I was young. My mother is a very sensual, beautiful creature who I really watched how she harnessed her femininity. Um, Wasn't she in the beauty business? Yes, she was a makeup artist, and I used to My follow her. My mom as her. well. Uh-huh, totally. Mm-hmm. That's right. We yeah. have that in common. And I would just tag along with her on Saturdays to the shop when she was doing her makeovers, and I would sit in the corner, um, or I would unbox her inventory and watch her do her makeovers, and the scenario was always the same. Her client would sit down and look in the mirror and immediately be like, ugh, my nose, ugh, my this, ugh, my that. And my mom just had this way with women of finding the positive, helping them see the positive, and with a little bit of makeup magic coupled with girlfriend-to-girlfriend conversation and motivation and inspiration, every single time that woman would look up after her makeover and look at herself in the mirror and see herself in a completely different way. And so I really came to understand the, the power and confidence that exists in every woman if you can just help her find it and help her bring it to the surface. Um, At the same time, I was always just hungry and curious and passionate for pleasure. Um, And I wanted those experiences and I wanted to learn about myself through those kinds of experiences. Um, And as soon as I could, I did. And I made a lot of mistakes. Um, My parents noticed who I was. And they acknowledged who I was. And so we talked about sex a lot in my household. We talked about it as a normal part of a human expression. Um, We talked about the values around it. We talked about the boundaries around it, about the safety around it. But I was given permission to be a sexual being. And so, yeah, amazing, amazing. And so my love uh, we of need all a, things- We need a mom workshop for that because I have yes. a five-year-old, obviously. We need a mom yeah. workshop for that. TBD, TBC, totally, totally. (laughs) Um, And so my passions were always just beauty and sex, beauty and pleasure. How do we, you know, share this magic with the world? And I always loved receiving like, you know, that positive attention, Um, not external validation, but positive attention from others based on the way I express my femininity. Um. And so then naturally, I just became the girl that all my friends came to for both beauty and sex advice and inspiration. Um, Professionally, I got into the music business, and then I got into music licensing and celebrity endorsements um, and marketing partnerships. And then I met Charlie, and I was bored in the music business. Things had become very corporate. I thought, you know, what would be great? What what would be great right now? This was 18 years ago when the sexual wellness industry, as we now know it, which is so mainstream and populated with brands that are accessible and, fem- and female-centric. But back then it was like triple X, you know, pop on down to the gross store at the end of the road and tiptoe in and grab yeah. what you can and get out. So there was white space. I thought of the name Booty Parlor because it's like the beauty parlor for your love life. You know, it was the experience of growing up in that in that parlor with my mom, but sexier. I wanted it to be the place where women could go to just get all the things that made them feel sexy and confident and really turn them on and light them up from the inside out. So 
my husband, Charlie, um, came from the VC world and he was like, this is a great idea. Let's do it. And we wrote a business plan, raised some money, quit our jobs and spent a year developing the brand. Were you guys married? We were engaged. So we were planning our wedding and planning and planning the launch of the business all at once. Um, I look back and I'm like, nobody. We were so young and crazy. We were. We were young and crazy. Nobody was like, hey, maybe you should think about that. Um, But we were destined to be in business together. We were destined for it. And and we launched. And within a few months, we were scouted by Victoria's Secret. And which was crazy. I thought they were calling me about a catalog order. Um, But they said, hey, we've seen your brand because I launched it at a celebrity event. I took all my experience from the celebrity marketing world and applied it to the brand. Um, They had seen a picture of me. You know, I had like shoved a bottle of our naughty bubbles, bubble bath in Jennifer Love Hewitt's hands and got the picture. And they had seen it in Us Weekly. And they said, we're bringing in to test sexy brands. Do you want to be one? And they became our biggest client for nine years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So right off the bat. Right off the bat, we had a we had a good start. We had a great start right off the bat. But then our initial mistake was trying to do too much. Um, so we launched a wholesale business. We launched a direct sales business, like the party, like a sex toy party business. Um, and e-com. Please tell us about the sex toy party business. Like we'll, oh my we'll God, get I back to that. the story, but please tell us about it. Cause yeah. it's like, I think of Tupperware parties and then you've told me about sex toy parties and I just... Yeah. I wish there was more of that still. So that was, that was, you know, I would say one of like the highlights of my overall professional career was sort of being the leader of that channel of our business. We had about a thousand women doing booty parlor home parties across the country. Wow. Yeah. And that's where the idea for my books came out because I was just getting all this information about the real lives of American women, what was going on and how they felt about themselves, what was going on in the bedroom for them. Um, and, uh, and then there was a recession. And you know, this was 2008, 2000 to 2010. And even though we had a thousand women, you think, wow, like that's a boot, that's amazing. We had to get to about 2,500 women doing our home parties for that business to really turn without the need for a lot more cash investment. And we just couldn't get there. And we had to cut that leg off of the business in order to save the other parts of the business, to save our wholesale business um, and our e-com. And so for me, I would say that that was one of the highlights and also one of the biggest disappointments that I've experienced in my professional career was letting that go because that's where I was just like motivating women, creating products and sharing them and motivating women. Um, so that was, that was a challenge. That was a big challenge for me to let that go. And so what happened from there? You guys, you got rid of the sex toy line. Yeah. You invested in the wholesale and the online Yeah. And yep, this was all yep. 2010. And so where this did it go from 2010. there? This was around 2010. Yeah. So this was around 2010. I had a baby. <laughs> um, I, I'm well, having I deja vu. <laughs> we had this, we had this conversation over dinner one time. Like, why do I have deja vu? Okay, great. Yeah. Yes, tracking. Let's go. You had the baby. I had sold my book to HarperCollins and then got pregnant, wrote the book while I was pregnant. 
And what's of course, the, what's you know, the book? The original book, the first book is called The Official Booty Parlor Mojo Makeover, Four Weeks to a Sexier You. It was like a prescription, mm. like a Cosmo-style prescription book on how to feel your sexiest and most confident. Um, and, and then I had the baby. He was in the NICU. I was like, who am I? What is this new life? I was finishing the edits on the, you know, on the manuscript while being in the NICU, breastfeeding him. Then I, the book was optioned by um, a TV production company. All the while, I was having a complete identity crisis because no one had told me that it takes time to become the next version of who you are as a woman who has become a mother. Yeah. I was just always like, one day you're a woman, the next day you're a mother. Like no yep. one was like, honey, it takes time. It takes this challenging and maybe not for everyone, but it really was for me. So I had just had this professional um, disappointment in cutting off the party business. Charlie was working hard to make sure the other channels of the business were safe, were steady, were, were be able to grow uh, while giving me the space and time that I needed to tend to our newborn. I um, went on my book tour and, you know, with the baby, I was pumping in between readings and trunk shows and it was a lot. It was a lot, but I felt like in a way I felt like I was sort of holding on for dear life in the sense of, well, I believe I can make it all work. Like that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be able to do everything. And that's another thing I think people don't really tell us as like strong, motivated, ambitious women. The messaging is you can have it all, mm -hmm. which is true, but at what expense? Yes. So, and like you can have it all and it's going to, but at different times. Like I love mm -hmm. that caveat because it's like you can have it all, but at different times, like success in your career and not total success. There's so many successes in our careers along the way, but like the vision and the goal that you had, you know, next year, well, guess what? You got pregnant. It might not happen next year anymore. It might yeah. happen 15 years down the road when your kid's in high school. And yeah. I, I'll get back to it, but I really, really resonate. And I think it's so true for so many women. We are told we get to have it all. We, especially in like a spiritual woke community, right? Like we, we can manifest it. We can have it all. We can be it all. I think Oprah said it like, right? Like, so we get to do it. And we spend so much time focusing on pregnancy. Mm, yeah. What to do during pregnancy, what to do during labor. Nobody prepares you for postpartum journey, that first yeah. portion, nor do they really prepare you for what actually birthing a mother is because it's totally a long, rigorous journey a lot longer than most people's careers. So yeah, yes. it's, I really, and I resonate with the holding on for dear life. It's like, I'm just not going to admit that this has changed me. We're going to keep yeah. on pushing. Yeah. Keep on pushing. And then it just got to the point where I really couldn't push. I really couldn't push any longer. So I never, well, I never stopped working. There was a point where I thought, um, I kind of have to rearrange how I do things. And also I realized I had to um, practice what I preached in the sense of how am I still nurturing my relationship? How am I still nurturing myself here? 
Um, and I actually picked up my book and I was like, is there anything in here to help? <laughs> and I realized, oh, well, there's a lot in here that I've written that can help me, but now it needs to be adapted for motherhood. And that's when I got the idea for my second book, which was called The Mommy Mojo Makeover. And that's when I started writing that book and workshopping that book in live situations. I also got pregnant again and had a second child. Um, and then, um, and then that led into another sort of tangent in my career, all while Charlie and I, but mostly Charlie, while he was still working that core booty parlor business, I then kind of went off and started exploring, you know, a live workshop business and focusing on motherhood and focusing on inspiring other mothers to feel sexy and invest in their relationships. Which was more of a personal brand. Yes. It was more of a personal brand. Yeah. Which served its purpose for me personally. Um, but also I got to a point in recent years where I was like, I actually don't want to, I'm happy to front woman booty parlor, but I no longer wanted to be operating a brand where I was the product, um, and, and where the product was get, so, how did you get to that point? Um, well, a couple different things. Um, one, it turns out that moms in general aren't that interested in investing in their sex lives in a, by way of an informational product. So the success wasn't there for me um, financially. Mm-hmm. Two, the understanding of that made me also realize how much of my um, current at that time self-worth was attached to that personal project, to me being accepted, to people buying my programs. And so mm-hmm. that was a huge break for me. Like, wait a second, my um, attachment or addiction um, to external validation, uh, making up my sense of self-worth and professional value and personal value, how much of my per- my professional value yeah. attributed to my personal value. I was like, this is gross. I'm having a midlife crisis. I have to really untangle all of this, which I did. And I'm so glad that I did because my sense of self-worth now is so much more broad and 360. Um, and I also really found my love for Booty Parlor again. And so it was a great learning experience. Um, let's talk about, I want to go back to like becoming a mother and like, why does it feel like an identity crisis, Dana? (laughs) Like it's a psychedelic journey and it doesn't end like after four months postpartum, it is a internal roller coaster and there's mom guilt and there's society expectations. And then there's school and what school do you put your kid in? And what does that mean about you? And not just what it means about you, but how's it going to impact your child? And what are they eating? Like there's so many layers and it feels like my daughter's five, obviously, uh, you know that. And, you know, it feels like I've just woken up like a year and a half ago and been like, holy shit, this is just like not actually going to end. And this is the journey that I have to get used to. And it's very much like a ayahuasca or a deep psychedelic journey where you don't, 
just get to sit up, walk away from it. You really have to lean into the shadows and to the fears and the vulnerability of it and like yeah. find resources and support. And, and I think once I leaned into that, once I acknowledged that, then I was able to breathe through it. Then I was able to lean on people and say that I needed help and support. Then I was able to learn. But for four years, I think I kept thinking like, this chapter is going to end soon and it will just get easier. But instead it got more complex. So what is it about in your experience and with people that you've, women that you've spoken to, like, what is it about becoming a mother that feels like an identity crisis? Well, what you are they just, not telling us? Yeah, I mean, you just touched on so many of the things that answer that question. I think the big obvious one is you spend your whole life completely in charge of your own time and what you do with it. And then suddenly your time is not your own. And because we live in a patriarchal society and we have been patriarchally um, influenced, even if we're in like the most open and equal marriages, we are still conditioned that we're We're the the mama. Yeah. The default parent. We're the mama. We're the default parent. We're in charge of the schedule. We can assign tasks out, right? Daddy, do this. Daddy, you're in charge of this. Daddy, would you, will you? Yes, thank you so much. You suddenly become a manager. But you're a manager. And so you're a manager now. You're like a mid-level manager. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, what What the fuck has happened to my life? I'm like the mid-level manager now um, with my spreadsheets and my notes and Look, I'm not saying there's not so much joy. Of course, there's joy. But suddenly life gets smaller for a moment in time. Your time is not your own. For me, the uh, another huge aspect beyond the time was the freedom. I never realized how important my freedom was to me by way of identity, by way of my libido, All of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, having the freedom to come and go as I please is one of the key inputs for my libido because I get to go out, wander, have a cocktail, talk to a stranger, meet a girlfriend, have a laugh. Dana, be somewhere at sunset. Be somewhere at sunset. Mothers do not get that anymore unless they schedule it. No. And so you have to schedule it. So I call that the mommy pop out. And twice a week, I was still living in New York City. It was so important for me to be out at sunset on the streets with the energy and people coming and going. It was the mommy pop out, but I had to schedule it. So Tuesday and Thursday, I scheduled my mommy pop out, made sure there was coverage, made sure that the food was there, that this was there, the blah, blah, blah. The routine was on the fridge. But I would run out that door and get my fill of freedom. Mm-hmm. And every time I would come home, and that was a lifeline, right? Because it's little, little morsels, but the morsels were better than nothing. Um, so for me, it was getting like super routine with making sure I was getting in my doses of freedom and time um, to get those central inputs that fueled me as a woman so that I could feel sensual and feel myself and kind of have some time to remember what is it that I want. Um, and that yeah. my kids are nine and 12 now. 
And like you said, it doesn't go away. It does get easier. I have always talked to my kids about what's important to me and that they know while they are my most important and treasured, you know, um, not job. I never, I never say they're a job, but they are my most important relationship. Um, that the relationship I have with myself is actually more important. And that's a Mm -hmm. bold thing to say. um, I said that to to Samaya the other day, she was kind of devastated, but I, but I explained to her because it like shattered her little ego that she just developed, that she is the center of our universe. And I said to her, you know, the first and most important thing to anyone is yourself. And she said, well, what about me? And I said, well, that's what I'm telling you. I said, your most important relationship is to yourself Mm -hmm. and how you speak to yourself. And so that's the same for me. If the same thing is, if one thing is true for me, it has to be true for you Yeah. in that regard. And she said, well, then what's most important to daddy? And I said, mommy, no, I said, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I said, what's, she said, I said, then it's himself. And I said, and what Mm. comes after that has to be mommy and daddy's relationship. And then after Mm. that comes you and mommy and you and daddy and mommy, daddy, and Samaya, right? Like I went through the whole hierarchy because I think for so long when you first have a kid, it's, oh my God, survive the child, make sure they eat, drink, sleep, poop, and they don't die. And all attention is focused. And then when you wake up, and the world is centered around them and your relationship is suffering and your everything else around you is suffering. And they don't really have an understanding of the reality of the world. Like out yeah. in the world, it is not centered around them, especially I have an only child. So it's even more extreme. I can see Samaya's world. Sure. Her believing that she's just the center of it. So we had this deep conversation and it was definitely shocking for her, but she really respected it and understood it. So it was amazing to witness. Totally. When I first met you, I was probably three months postpartum. Yeah. Wow. Making it work. I was going to keep on trucking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I will host this event with my newborn. I will. You wait and see. Here I am. That is so intense. Yeah. It was so intense. I was doing these for listeners. I was doing these mama parties where we're doing babes in arms or new moms. And I was doing them with my midwife, Elizabeth Bachner. We did them in Miami, New York, and LA. They, we would, we had basically amazing swag for new moms. And we would do a podcast recording of her podcast. Um, of a mother, mother story, like an influential mother. And we'd record their birth story. And so we were cranking away at these events. And I think it was like the third one. And I met Dana because my friend Sloan was like, do you know who that is? If you know Sloan, that's what she sounds like. And she's like, that is Dana B. Myers. And she has, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyways, so then, so then you were in my life and Sloan actually helped you do your book launch launch and it was the mommy launch your book. It was the mommy mojo makeover. And I was like, first of all, like mojo, I don't know what that word is. And second of all, like who has lost it? Like I am fine. We are fine. Everything (laughs) is fine. 
that is not for me. And it was like so triggering, just like the whole idea. And like, and you have this amazing Facebook group, and I'm sure it still exists full of, I think it's like 20,000 women. It's a lot of women in there that you've amassed this conversation with about sex after children and sensuality. And it was just, I couldn't comprehend three months in that I would ever need the kind of support or a mommy pop out or to schedule things dot to dot the entire last part portion of this conversation. I never expected any of that to arrive. And so I just couldn't comprehend. And now totally get that. Totally get it. You know, it was like, so, um, triggering and foreign. And so this conversation, you guys is really to like, so you can hear it from me firsthand, from her firsthand, these things, especially if you're thinking about becoming a mom or you are a mom and no matter what phase you're in, if you're not getting ahead in your skill set as a manager, <laughs> like you have to, like truly as a scheduler, as a manager, as yeah. a visionary for your home and a conversationalist and a person that takes a stand for your relationship with your partner and your relationship with your children, like it's going to fucking eat your ass somewhere. It's going to catch up with you. It's going to come for you. And I just didn't know it three months postpartum with all my grit and tenacity and hormones. Totally. (laughs) Wild, (laughs) wild. So like, I just can't even imagine you've been doing your entrepreneurial journey along this whole time with baby on hip, even though I understand you have your partner, but how, you know, not just getting better at being a mother, not just getting better at scheduling and understanding your needs and dialing up your original book, turning it into the mommy mojo book, but, and utilizing those tips that are within it. But like, how did you really stay in touch with your career and your vision and not just say, I'm just going to be a stay at home mom. And at times I'm sure you have. And what does that journey look like? Because so much of my journey looks like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just too tired of trying. I'm too tired of trying. Maybe I'll just be a stay at home mom. And there's always that toggle of thought. Yeah. And so what did that journey look like for you over the years? And where do you stand now? Yeah. Yeah. So there were many, many times where I thought that same thing. Maybe I'll just do the stay at home mom thing. um, And maybe I could really enjoy it. Maybe I could. Maybe I could. Um, I would take little breaks. Um, I think, you know, when we, when we moved to St. Lucia, which we did, um, and, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, no one else here is working. They're like stand up paddleboarding and having lunch at the beach. And I'm, I'm trying to have this career that I had in when we were living in Brooklyn, but now I'm on this tiny Island and I, what am I doing? So I said, okay, I'll, I'll be a stay at home. I'll just do the thing. And, I'll enjoy this like ladies who lunch kind of a life. Um, And that lasted for about six weeks and I was just bored to tears. Um, And that's when I um, wrote my second book proposal and sold it and then used my time in St. Lucia to to write that book. Um, No judgment on anyone who decides not to work outside the home. Being a mother is a full-time job. I often feel like a starfish just stretched in so many different directions, trying to work for booty parlor, run my business, grow my business, be the best mother that I can be, have a personal life and relationship with myself and also nurture my marriage. Um, 
so for, but for me, what, what became really clear from the times where I decided I'm going to try not working is that that doesn't work for me. So I had to get really clear first. I had to really sift through all the guilt, all the questions, all the whatnot that I had. Um, and I did realize that just doesn't work for me and that's okay. And then you have to go, okay. And Charlie always really helped me with this. Like, you know, we need you. You are the cog of the wheel on our family. We need you. So what can you do to, you know, nurture that ambitious professional rock star inside of you? How much time do you want to give it? You can get a lot done in two hours a day if you don't fart around, you know? And so it was like, I had to look at my working habits Um, I had to get really clear about what aspects I wanted to do for the business. Um, And of course, that changes based on the needs of the business. But for me, it was like, okay, what am I best at? I'm best at business development, networking and partnerships, product development, and like being the rah-rah cheerleader. Like somebody needs to get excited about the brand, put me in front of them. So it wasn't the busy work. It wasn't the marketing plans. It wasn't the email writing. It wasn't the copywriting. wasn't the answering comments. Like all the busy work that I would try to insert myself into for whatever reason. I had to be like, okay, let that go. Focus on what I really want. What are my work hours? Again, for me, it goes back to being practical. Um, How much am I going to work? When am I going to work? And when am I going to make time for me and for all the other things? So... Um, and that's, that's like changed every year since I've had a kid. It changes based on the needs of the business, the needs of the family and my tolerance for burning it and pushing it. Um, now that the business is really thriving, you know, we also did something we can talk about, um, that really helped me, uh, be able to kind of take my foot off the gas a little bit and focus more or operate more with less like pressure and intensity is that we did a licensing deal. Um, and so a lot of the busy work, the product development went to our licensing partner. And then we were just able to take a royalty off of that deal. Now that's just for an international business. Um, but looking at the overarching business structure and being like, okay, how can we, you know, how can I work less and make more? Well, the licensing business did that. So with the time that I have. And it sounds like that's, that's not being so attached to like driving from a mission-based place or a validation-based place. It's saying, removing a little of the emotional aspect and being like, what's really healthy for this business and healthy for my family. And I think so often, I think it's important when you're young and when you don't have children, especially you can be really mission driven and not that you're still not as you grow, you could still be mission driven as you grow, but it's, you can also just make smart, wise business decisions from a non-emotional place. And even going back to your personal brand, branded business, you as a personal brand, there is very much a sense of that happening in my reality right now. Like I am my brand and it's been that way for 10 years. It's always been that way. I don't really see a separation where I'm noticing personally conflict is that I don't seem to have space for my 
personal life in my personal brand. And it used to be the opposite. It used to be my personal life came first and some things were thrown in that were professional. Like it was my life and come to my yoga class. It was my life and come to my event. It was my life. And here's an influencer link, right? It was all life style. And so it's interesting when it all becomes personal brand, my podcast is the business, the product baseline I'm developing is the business. Yeah. The information I put out is me as a leader and expert. And it's not always validating. Like numbers are good sometimes. Numbers are not good sometimes. Like yeah. practicing non-attachment. Okay, I can do that. But also like where it's just like Danielle Bigby. Like where is she? Yeah. Like the regular old Danielle yeah. Bigby. Like I'm still here. Yeah. My world is huge beyond social media. But unfortunately, social media doesn't see that much of it anymore. And that's like weird to not express myself in that way. So, sure, you know, really, you know, in this game of like toying with social media and business and building product-based businesses versus personal brands and, you know, learning how to detach yourself from these businesses and say, what is smart? for me? What is smart yeah. for my family? What is smart financially? Yeah. And where totally. do I need, not do I need the validation, but where am I getting the validation and why do I need that validation? It's like, that's the game totally. I'm in right now. Totally. Once I, a hundred percent. And once I did like the underworld, you know, friend of mine, Jess, we were, we were sort of in our midlife crisis and our underworld journey, you know, like what has to die to be reborn. We were talking, now we're on the other side. We were talking about it. When did you experience that? From 42 to 45, I'm 47 now. So 42 to 45 were some deep, deep underworld journeying days. Um, really looking at everything that was no longer working by way of my belief system, my attachments, um, you know, my, my, my level of honesty with myself, um, and, and really kind of just looking at it with compassion and saying, what's not working for me? Where did I learn it? Is it true? Do I still want it? No. What do I do? What do I put in its place? And really learning some new beliefs and defining new ways to do things. Um, And she was saying, because we're on the other side now, and she was like, we were down there like riding skeleton horses, like (laughs) with a, with a, with a torch. Yeah. Like with a torch, just like looking for the other side. And she's like, we did it. And I was like, yeah, we did it. And it feels so good. And when you, um, and now making decisions that are for the financial health, of our business, they're easier because my ego is not, it's like no longer all tied up. My ego, my validation, you know, it's no longer all tied up. It's like, do we have a product? Are the cost of goods right? Is the margin profile going to help us? Yes. How much can we spend to advertise it? How much can we sell it for? What's the ROAS? Oh, that looks good. Let's do more of it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's, it's just more efficient and functional and I'm no longer so well, you're attached. a businesswoman and you're not out there trying to prove that you're a businesswoman. 
that yes it only I took me all this time <laughs> <laughs> you're in your wisdom years it's amazing i am i am in you're my in wisdom it. years yeah it feels good which is why we good. need you we all need you every yeah. woman needs a woman going through it before her we all do you're totally. lighting the torch totally. you're leading the way and there's women before you yes. i'm sure in your so many so many women in my life are doing the same for you and led the way a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So no longer triggered by the mommy mojo makeover queen (laughs) fully fucking embracing it over here. I don't know what took me so long. No, I get that though. I really get it. I mean, listen, you know, mojo a is a funny word anyway you know, and it, it puts a lot of people off. Right. And it's like, what is that mommy mojo? Like, who are you? Why are you telling me I have to have this and this yeah, and that? It's that. Um, so I, I totally get that. I totally get that. If you really look at the book, it comes back to me being practical and it comes back to like, how do I protect and invest in my relationship during these super intense years where the door is wide open for resentment to creep into your marriage, right? When the kids are little. How do I invest in and protect myself as a woman? And how do I keep growing when my world has become all about these children? Um, And for me, it always just broke down to like little ways to feel good and little ways to feel better and become a better communicator and still have a lot of pleasure in my life. Like I used to come up with these fantasies when I was washing the bottles. Um, And I would like, or when I had to go grocery shopping. Like dirty fantasies? Yeah, dirty fantasy. Oh, I love like, it. I'd be like scrubbing the bottles. I'm like, yeah, work that bottle, Dana. Um, but like, <laughs> I'd be in the grocery store and be like, I have to puree carrots and sweet potatoes tonight. But like, I would look at those carrots like glistening when the when the sprinklers would go on in the the grocery store, and I'd You'd be like, like those sexualize carrots. them. Yeah, I would sensualize them sensualize so that them. even the most boring and mundane parts of my life you know still became sexy inputs. This is crazy. You know the all like the trend on Instagram and TikTok is romanticize your life and then they like show the the influencer putting the vase of flowers and it's like all uh, aesthetic yes. and then she like puts her lip gloss on and it's like all aesthetic and everything is like really cute and I'm like literally picking up all the shit in my living room today I'm like how do you fucking romanticize this huh I was saying that to myself and yeah. I realized that just now in this moment it's not it's words are everything you know it's all such a nuance but it's not how do you romanticize it? I can use, how do you centralize this? And it's really fantasy because the problem with the trend on Instagram is it's aesthetic. I I get it that it's supposed to evoke a feeling, but so much is visual. And I think just from what I hear you saying is like, really just look at what's in front of you and how can it be sensual and how can it be romanticized? How can it be whatever the word is for you? And it be a fantasy going beyond what it looks like beyond the touch and really going into that place, giving yourself permission to fantasize. Totally. I have a full breakthrough, Dana. Yeah. Well, honey, sister, you should have read the book a few years ago. I think I did read it and I was just like, I can't. I, can't. I don't want I'm to. So resistant. I, can't. I have it. Um, no, that is my way. I I always say put some pleasure on it. You know, when I I hate folding oh, I laundry. So I hate cute. it. I hate folding laundry so much, but how do I put pleasure on it? 
when their towels are warm and they come out of the the dryer, I press them up against my body and I just feel, oh, what would it feel like to like roll around on hot laundry with a lover? When I, I swear to God, when I unload the dishwasher and I let the steam come out, I'm like, okay, I'm in a sauna in Greece, you know, with sexy bodies. And I just let myself fantasize. And it has been, I would say like, I call it sensual inputs, right? Where can I find sensual inputs? Like I can make a floating plastic bag a sensual input. It's a superpower of mine because I want to fuel myself with sensuality and joy on a daily basis because life is hard and no one else is going to spoon feed that to me. Um, So I'm constantly looking around for it and actively – making things sensual, actively noticing the sensual inputs that are right there for me. Yeah. And I think this conversation goes so much further beyond mothers. Being a single woman right now, we have many friends that are single. It's just not easy. Being a woman in general is not easy in the times that we're living in, you know, between dating apps and becoming a healed conscious version of yourself and breaking generational curses. Who the hell do you want to date? You know, like what, who's up to par for it. And so I think just in general, being open and sensual is almost as we evolve and as we grow and as we heal and as we age, I think it's like our responsibility. Now I'm viewing it as Yes, yes. In this phase in my life, because I know women who are single who are very closed and, you know, it's hard to date when you're closed. I get it. It's it's, You're doing the work and you've become fixed in your ways. And even if you're not fixed in your ways, you just know what you want, right? And so it's hard. Yeah. But this brings me to like, I watched your video on Booty Parlor yesterday while I was doing, you know, some background and research and it this is why you have these products and they've stood the test of yes. time. It's so yes, amazing. Like I was watching you talk about yeah. the, the Eau de Perfume and it's like, there's pheromones in them, you guys. And they're for dating yeah. or the bedroom. They're for like yes. self-pleasure or for romantic pleasure. And so Absolutely. just kudos to you for knowing what the fuck was up with a long time ago. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's, um, Yes, the what we have just been talking about with sort of sensualizing your life and romanticizing it and adding fantasy, it is what I do when I create my products because it's how I want her, our customer, it's how I want her to feel when she uses them. So like with Unforgettable Amour, it's um, one of our best-selling fragrances with pheromones. And so the title is Unforgettable Amour, right? It's like, I want this fragrance to incite a feeling in her that she has this unforgettable love story. And it's both with herself or with someone else or both. And so the notes that I choose, it's like, you know, rose. And when we explain it, it's like, imagine, you know, the velvety softness of the petals of the rose. Imagine a rose blooming as your own flower blooms, you know? We put in um, patchouli because it's a note that, um, you know, wealthy women in the 1800s used to wear as a marker of their wealth and abundance. Like, it's all these things. I want this, you know. Yeah, totally, right? Um, 
pair is in our unforgettable amour, La Nuit. And La Nuit is all about this feeling of like, I am going to have the most unforgettable night of pleasure and sex in my whole entire life. And so like, how do you create that scent? It's like pear, right? So the shape of a pear immediately conjures sensuality and an acknowledgement and a celebration of a woman's curves. Orange blossom, because it's a little like, you can like, imagine like the mist of the zest of an orange, you know, and it's enlivening and sexy and a little spicy. Um, and so for me, that intention of um, infusing our products with very intentional ingredients and notes that mean something and stand for sensuality that's everything. Like, I just want a woman to feel that when she opens the product and when she uses it. The whole brand is about her feeling sexy and confident in a way that's unique to her. Um, so that's the mission. And um, if the products or because the products stand for that and embody that, I think that that's why they've lasted so long and they keep selling. Yeah, it's the truth. You feel it. And also pheromones, like human nature, we want to be attractive. Like, tell, you know, we want, so like, break down what, tell us about pheromones a little bit. I kind of have an understanding, but like, how did you figure out pheromones were going to be the thing? Like, when did you start using well, them in your products? We started using pheromones in our original collection called Flirty Little Secret that we probably released in like 2008. It was one of our first collections. Um, and we released it through Victoria's Secret and our other channels as well. But it was really when our flirty little secret perfume oil with pheromones became the best seller, um, in the third party beauty category at Victoria's Secret that we were like, Oh, so it's not just us and it's not just our home party girls, but it's the Victoria's Secret mainstream woman who's saying, you know, these pheromones are working for me. So pheromones are an attraction agent. We produce pheromones as a human. This is not news, but pheromones can be synthetically made in a laboratory as many naturally inspired ingredients are. They are synthesized in a lab and we put in our cosmetics. Um, and we isolate- Are there different the, kinds of pheromones? Yes, like different there smells? are. So there are Pheromones don't actually have a smell. They okay. have, they are detected by the vomeronasal organ, which lives inside of our noses. So they're detected. I was we trying to research this last night. Yeah, I, I was like, do they smell? Are they synthetic? So, so the curious. fragrance. And so, yeah, a lot of people are like, did you get these from animals? Like we do not use, our fragrances are vegan. We don't use any animal or human derived pheromone or any kind of additive in our perfumes. Um, but uh, pheromones, when added into perfumes, there's a study in the um, a journal, which I won't be able to recite right now, um, but I can put it in the show notes if you want, that says that when women, in a, in a test, when women, women wear pheromones added in their perfume, they received 50% more positive attention from the opposite sex than when they didn't. And so whether it is... Um, whether you know you're wearing pheromones and it makes you feel more confident and attractive and so you present yourself in a way that draws more people to you or you don't know you're wearing pheromones and you notice uh, that more people are complimenting you. And it goes, it's interesting. We get a lot of people saying, oh my God, I got 
men buying me more drinks or I got asked out on more dates. Um, but a lot of women will say, you know, other women were being nicer to me too. So we do include pheromones that are designed to attract the opposite sex. Our, our, day, our customer base is primarily women or women identifying. So it does attract men, but we also include a pheromone that works on both um, just to create that positive aura around you and draw more positive attention and interaction into your life. Um, Beautiful. so it's interest. it's interesting. It's really interesting. And it's interesting that we didn't set out to be a pheromone brand and now our most successful product lines all have pheromones. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of brands I can think of that. I mean, no, you know, I'm not researched on it, but there's not a lot of brands I can think of that come to the forefront that their main thing is pheromones, right. That stand on that pillar. No. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. This has been amazing, Dana. I love you so much. I really am just thankful for you in my life. Thankful for this conversation. I have a question. What does rebellious reinvention mean to you? Oh God. I think, um, the rebellious part is to just never let yourself see the downtimes as failure to just always see it as a lesson that can fuel the next version of you, the next version of your business, the next idea is to you never have shame about your mistakes and to just keep going. And um, yeah, I've fallen down so many times and I just refuse to give up. And so I think that's rebellious is to just never, ever give up. I agree. I love that. Now, and what's, let me add one thing to that. Let me add yeah, one thing to the that. caveat. The caveat. I'm not saying you have to keep fighting for the same damn thing. Like I could have started a million other businesses. I happened to keep fighting for booty parlor because it deserved it and it warranted it. Um, but just keep switching, just keep trying, keep following your heart and, and never let anyone make you feel like, um, changing your mind or reinventing yourself is, is a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. I love that. That's a good caveat. And I feel that, I mean, you had a proven worthy concept with booty parlor. And so that's different to fight for it. You know, I think that it was showing success and showing breath of life, but I think, but even in your personal life, you chose reinvention, even in motherhood, even in your relationship. And so it's an important distinction, but yes, it's, it's proven either way. Um, and lastly, what is, what's next for booty parlor? What can we expect to see? Um, it's a very, very exciting time for booty parlor right now. We are continuing to share our pheromone infused fragrances. Um, and we're going to continue to expand our audience and I think we will double our sales in 2023. So I'm very excited about that. And I am releasing. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. It's working. Um, and we are going to be releasing a brand new product, which is really like, sometimes I just, Every product is like my baby, but this one is really, I'm really excited about this new baby. It's coming out in um, April and it is um, going to give every woman a very glistening and glamorous connection to um, their personal power. And that's what I'll say about that. 
Woo! Yeah. Oh, I remember the behind the scenes of this one. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm it's so gonna excited be a good for one. this. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to smell the the perfume that sold out like yeah. twice. Yeah, yeah. I can't well, wait. it's back in stock. It's back in stock. I'm very excited. Amazing. About that. Thank you so much. Bye, darling. Every week we have a reoccurring segment and I share my favorite things, tangible products to use, things to walk away with above and beyond the inspiration of these conversations. Read Mommy Mojo Makeover, 28 Tools to Reclaim Yourself and Reignite Your Relationship by Dana Myers herself. The Mommy Mojo Makeover is an uplifting guide designed to inspire mothers to rediscover their sensual, confident self, reconnect with their bodies and ignite a spark in their relationship. Sex and relationship relationship expert Dana B. Myers delivers 28 inspiring practical tools, interactive exercises, and real-life antidotes that will leave women feeling like a happier, sexier mama, one who is more deeply satisfied within herself and her relationship. And listen, you just heard this podcast. If you are triggered or you don't know why you might need this book, just trust me, soften in, give yourself a little support, and check it out shop. Make sure you go over to bootyparlor.com and check out Dana's collection of amazing mommy mojo tools. My favorite are her kissaholic lip glosses, which have pheromones in them, and also the eau de perfume. It is delicious. So do yourself a favor, go check Dana Myers out. I love you all. Subscribe, share, and please comment on my podcast, Rebellious Reinvention, and let me know how you like it. Have an amazing day. Bye.